Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security, and culture. Welcome. The world faces pressing contingencies from climate change to transition to green energy to food insecurity and demographic growth. These contingencies may well turn into major crises. However, contrary to the dominant narrative that tends to minimize Africa's contributions, these challenges cannot be resolved without Africa's greater engagement. The continent is the untapped and underappreciated indispensable partner. The world is ignoring Africa at its own peril. Africa's vast forests, waters, arable lands, minerals, and populations are critical in addressing these pressing challenges. For instance, with a median age of 19 years, Africa's young demographics provide a potential solution to the problem of Europe's aging population. This, however, will require creative approaches to sustained engagement with Africa. Today's great powers competition mostly focuses on carving out spheres of influence driven by short-term interest. Absent is a long-term goal to build sustainable relations with Africans. Consequently, Africa only figures tangentially in important discussions about these issues. On the investment front, Africa has received disproportionately little attention considering what its resources represent for the world. Joining me on Into Africa today is Tony Elemelu, one of Africa's leading investors and philanthropists. He is the founder and chairman of Harris Holdings. Tony is also the chairman of the United Bank for Africa, which operates in 20 countries in Africa, the United Kingdom, and France, and is the only African bank with a commercial deposit-taking presence in the United States. In 2010, he created the Tony Elemelu Foundation, the leading philanthropy empowering a new generation of African entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, Chairman, and welcome to CSIS. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure and honor to host you here at CSIS. What brings you to Washington? So I wear two hats. I wear the hat of an investor that invests in African countries, and I also wear the hat of a philanthropist that founded the Tony Elmelo Foundation, the leading philanthropy to focus on empowering Afghan entrepreneurs. So I'm in America, first time since COVID, to touch base with our business associates and more importantly, see how United Bank for Africa, America, the only African bank that operates in the U.S. is doing. And then two, see how we can engage in conversation with the United States government, the current administration, the development agencies and partners here with a view to helping expand, scale further what we are doing through the Tony Elmelu Foundation in Africa by empowering young African men and women. To date, the Tony Elmelu Foundation has empowered over 16,000 young African entrepreneurs, giving each of them non-refundable grant of $5,000 to help them grow, to help them become entrepreneurs, to help address poverty, and uh, help propel the world to a better and safer place, more peaceful world, because we believe strongly 
that poverty and economic hardship anywhere is a threat to all of us everywhere. So I'm here to say to the administration, in the 21st century, there are more ways of looking for peace across the globe. The Tundim Lelu Foundation offers that. So those are the two reasons I'm here. Welcome. Thank you very much. We are happy that you're here, and we are happy for the work that you do, especially with the youth. I said in my introduction that the median age is 19 years of age in Africa. How has the experience of engaging the youth been so far for you as an entrepreneur yourself? You used to be young. <laughs> you remember those days where we all uh, had to eke out a living and pay for ourselves. And now, of course, in the standpoint that you have, how has the experience been compared to your own goals? We started the foundation in 2010. My aim was to help democratize luck, to help create economic opportunities and access to young Africans. I have seen across the continent that we have energetic young ones, brilliant people who are audacious, who want to succeed, but they lack the economic support to get there. So in 2010, my family founded the Tony Melu Foundation and that did 100 million US dollars for the purpose of helping to identify and support 10,000 young Africans with the hope that collectively all of us will work together, prosper together to help create more opportunities and prosperity for everyone. My experience since we started this journey is that indeed the future of Africa belongs to these young ones. They have what it takes to succeed. And if we all prioritize them, we'll go far together as a continent. I have seen also that in some of the jurisdictions, some of the countries, they lack the necessary government support. And when I say government support, not necessarily financial support, but creating the enabling environment that will enable them to succeed. I have also seen that the world is beginning to listen. The world is beginning to understand that in the 21st century, there are better ways of engagement, better ways of helping to prioritize young people, better ways of creating humanitarian impact. And so we have seen even agencies and development organizations in the past that would not support entrepreneurs the way they are supporting them today. Today, the Tony Melu Foundation is in partnership with UNDP, as a partner with the European Union, which is one of the reasons I'm here to say, America, where are you? Stand to be counted. <laughs> the world is moving. <laughs> the EU in 2021 supported a young African entrepreneurs through the Tony Melu Foundation with 25 million US dollars. And they specify that this should go to females. So, where's America in all of this? Our experience is that one, indeed, these young Africans can make the difference and bring development to the continent. Two, that there are stumbling blocks in now affecting these young Africans from achieving their success. And we need government to help alleviate all of that. Three, we have seen that some global development institutions are now beginning to prioritize and embrace this as a sustainable path to economic development and progress that is sustainable. Last point, we've seen that on the continent of Africa, when it comes to prioritizing entrepreneurship, when it comes to supporting young African entrepreneurs, American government and agencies can do more. So a lot of stuff to unpack in what you just said. I will go methodically to, to some of them. One 
just curious for our audience, how do you select this youth? How do you understand this youth across cultures and regions and gender, of course? I see myself as an African born in Nigeria. I believe that as a continent, as a people, we should be thinking of collective prosperity. We should also remember that poverty anywhere on the continent is a threat to all of us on the continent. We have seen how extremism is running across countries and boundaries. So to me, we can't isolate prosperity or confine it to one area. It should be across the continent. And the luck that I experienced growing up, I thought I owed it to others across the continent, you know, to experience the same. And this is why we put together this funding to support these entrepreneurs. In selecting these young Africans, what we do, we advertise, we create awareness, and we encourage these young Africans to apply. It is sector agnostic, open to men, women, across office for African countries, and then they apply. We work with uh, consulting firms, we work with Accenture, we work with Deloitte. They help go through the screening process and their advisory board of the foundation, those that met the criteria. We said the criteria is simple. Any sector, as I said, sector agnostic, but ideas that are scalable, ideas that can be implemented, ideas that can help create jobs you know, for the continent. Idea that can succeed because we want to see successes. You know? And so once they identify all of this, we make decisions based on that. I must say that that is, again, one of the reasons I'm here. When we started, about 20,000, 25,000 young Africans applied and we selected 1,000. So success rate was high. Last year, we had almost 400,000 applications from 55 African countries. We, our commitment as a foundation that we support 1,000 every year, so I said to my guys, 1,000, want to select 1,000 younger entrepreneurs. We have over 400,000 people applying. So we're not giving hope. We're discouraging people. <laughs> Hence, I reached out through the foundation to other like-minded institutions and individuals. I said, guys, we have a situation. We believe that in the 21st century, we need private sector involvement. We need entrepreneurship. And our young ones are interested, but we don't have the resources to meet their demand. So what do we do? The German Development Authority, GZ, GIZ, they came, to, they supported a thousand. The European Union, as I said before, put $25 million to support about 3,000 of them. African Development Bank, they supported a thousand. The International Red Cross, which is a major positive development. Because they have also seen that we indeed can avert crisis in the world by investing in these people than helping to manage the effect of crisis. Then UNDP came big time and supported thousands. And I hope that at the end of my visit to the U.S., both uh, the policymakers, the administration executives, officials, and those who run development agencies should begin to think of how they too can play a role in helping to support these young African entrepreneurs. The Tony Milu Foundation is just a conduit. We do our own. We support our own work every year. We train over 500,000 young entrepreneurs every year because we have a digital platform that trains as many as we can possibly train. And then we also have what we call the TF Connect, a digital platform 
that help to bring the entrepreneurs together so they can try to one another. So we do all of this. And we see ourselves as a pass-through because we can select 100,000 if we had the resources to give them $5,000 each. And for the training, we do that easily on our own. So that is the experience so far. That's how we go about selecting people. And that is my expected outcome from this trip. So a very fascinating and very insightful. I still want to stay on Africa. We'll come back to the U.S. soon. You talked about enabling environment. We talked about luck. And luck comes with a lot of hard work for most of us. So the enabling environment in a lot of African countries is very tough. It's tough just by lack of infrastructure. Kids may not have access to schooling. And if they have access to schooling, it may not be the best education. Kids may not have access to reading, which is a big, important way of traveling. We all travel through books. That's how we came to dream about things. It's by reading, right? By reading about other people's experience. But also big challenges, government in Africa. Here you're going to talk to American policymakers. The government in Africa is, are not always committed to youth. In the case of Nigeria, we've seen movement like Not Too Young to Run. We've seen youth mobilize across the continent. How is your engagement? Because you've mentioned the other partners you have, UNDP, Deloitte, and everybody else. But home is home. Home is our government in various countries. How do you engage with those? So I am the proponent, chief proponent of a philosophy called Afro-capitalism, realizing that the private sector has a key role to play in developing our continent, but that equally we need government to play its own role so that collectively the private sector and the public sector can work in sync for the common good of our people. And we know that we need to engage government for them to realize what our young ones expect of them. And we're doing that. At some point in the past, the Tony Elmelo Foundation partnered with Tony Blair's AGI, Afghan Governance Initiative, to help capacitize, support nation states, governments, in building capacity for prioritizing private sector development in their countries. And it worked. You know. Countries like Sierra Leone, Liberia, Rwanda, a few of these countries will work together with, with, with them. And even Nigeria also supporting the government in Nigeria to build capacity for private sector development. Personally, what we do at the foundation by providing resources to these young Africans is one thing, but more importantly is advocacy. Again, the reason I'm here, the reason we're having this conversation, you know, we need to move the narrative, we need to push and let government know. I'll tell you one story. In, um, I think, 2019 or 2020, I was invited to give a talk in the country to a platform of tax practitioners and tax policy advisors. So I tweeted on my Twitter handle to Nigerian young entrepreneur. I said, I'm going to deliver a lecture. What do you want me to be conversing? What do you want me to be engaging? What do you want me to talk about? And they all came together. It's difficult doing business, multiple taxation, this and that. So I collated all of them. That formed the basis for my presentation when I got there. And I said, I want to share with you what our young ones are saying. And I read everything out. And to my amazement, or call it a coincidence, or real reaction to what happened, the next few months there was an enactment of law to reduce some multiple taxation issues that these young entrepreneurs complained about. I saw for the first time a direct reaction and response, positive one, to these issues. So it got me thinking. So I said, is it that government does not know what should be done? 
Is it that they don't feel the pulse of the people? They don't understand. But whatever it is, I've come to see that advocacy is important. And so in direct response to the question you asked, I do engage with governments in the country, Nigeria. I do engage with government across Africa. I go to African countries and I present the beneficiaries of the Tony Miller Foundation Award to their ex-presidents. And I tell their presidents, this guy is for them to do well. We've done our own as a foundation by giving them non-refundable seed capital of $5,000 each, done our own by appointing mentors for them to help them, by also training them, 12 weeks training, because we realize that it's not just about capital. Capital must also meet a mind that is prepared and trained so that you know how to engage the capital. But that they need also an enabling environment because we've seen in Africa, most entrepreneurs, their businesses don't succeed. Not because they are not good, but because the operating environment is stifling difficult. So those are the things we do and we'll continue to do. And to me, we want to engage more people across the world to help our leaders move along the right path. It's not even about infrastructure alone, policy consistency, policies, putting the right policies in place, providing good security. Those are things that help to catalyze entrepreneurship, and more importantly, investment on the continent. And if we don't do those things, we don't go far. So they are very, very important. No, absolutely. Those are some of the challenges. At CSIS, one of the priorities here is to work with youth. We work on the space of youth, civic, and political engagement. Of course, civic and political engagement cannot really happen when people are hungry or people are not in school. Education is at that intersection. I suspect from what you said so far, Public-private partnership is key to your engagement, and I can sense it by the partners that you've raised. How is that working in other sectors that are adjacent to your activities across the continent? You know, as I said earlier, I wear two hats. I'm a philanthropist, but I am an investor, and we invest in different sectors. From financial sector, we run I'm the group chairman of United Bank for Africa PLC. United Bank for Africa PLC operates in 20 African countries. It's the only African bank that operates in the United States of America as a deposit-taking bank, and right there in New York. Operates in London as a full-fledged bank, in Paris, rep office, and just recently got a license to operate in Dubai. So we know what is good for business. We know what the private sector should do. We also know what government must do so that collectively we can create more prosperity. I wear the hat of the chairman of Transco. Transco is transnational corporation, operates in Africa, is the biggest power generating company in Nigeria, sells power to the Republic of Benin, as we speak, and also has hotels in the country. We also have significant investment in the wider energy sector where we produce oil, but more importantly, gas to our power. Because of our power business, we want to make sure that we have control of gas. Because Africa, as you know, access to electricity on the continent is poor, is deficient, and we need to do a lot more. So wearing this hat, the hat of investor in these sectors, I know, and of course, the healthcare sector too. I know what is good for business. I know that businesses, to a large extent, need a strong enabling environment that's usually provided by government. 
and for that partnership between public and private sector to hold, each part must go to the table with a full realization and understanding of what is required of it. The private sector should help government to create jobs, help to raise revenue through tax payment, etc., help to have an efficient value chain that helps to develop so many things. But the public sector must create the right environment. Security, policy consistency, education, these are things that are critical. The private sector is, help, is able, ready to help improve access to electricity. But how about those laws, stifling laws? So I think the future of Africa is an efficient public sector and a robust private sector working together. I will make it different. What we do at the Tony Melu Foundation would not have been possible if we did not succeed in business. So we need to see more people succeed in business on the continent so that collectively we we'll see that it is in our self-interest to make sure that there's prosperity. And they become stakeholders yeah. that way. And stakeholders will protect the system, the process for everyone. So coming back to America, since we're here, <laughs> <laughs> What do you expect from American policymakers in their engagement with Africa? Some of the challenge you just laid out. Is there an issue of narrative? Are Americans getting it? Are they not getting it? How do we build that bridge? So this was a question President Obama asked, I think it was 2012 or 13, when he visited Africa, his first African visit. So we had short interaction, about 12 of us in Tanzania. And he unfolded his Power Africa initiative and trade and investment. He said he came to Africa to preach trade and investment. And so I, as the president, what we need in Africa that will help this your gospel of trade and investment to work is a vibrant private sector supported by the enabling public sector environment. And it would be nice if you could convey a meeting of using your statue of office as American president, convey a meeting of African presidents and the leading private sector people in Africa. Let's be in the same room to have conversation, a dialogue on what we should do to make trade and investment work. We don't have vibrant intra-Africa trade. Intra-Africa trade is less than 12%, okay? And the, there's a reason for that. And investment after Africa is poor in spite of the huge returns on investment. I invest in many countries beyond outside of Africa. And there's nowhere else I get the kind of returns on investment as what I get in Africa. So the return is high? It's very high, but people don't know. All right. The glass is half full. Mm-hmm. All people know is about the bad things out of Africa. So how do we unlock that? How do we make that capital come to Africa? And so those were the conversations, and he listened and said, okay, that's a good idea. They were going to set up, you know, to his credit, up until when he left, he set up, I think, two or three such uh, platforms and then we had conversation. So what do I want from policymakers and government leaders here? I'd like us to continue to engage with these leaders, you know, let them understand what is good. Let American presidents continue to have share their experiences, how things work. Because you know it's, at times people perish out of a uh, little ignorance and I share with them. And then uh, also formulating policies and granting authorizations, let policymakers and lawmakers also be mindful of the fact that there's a continent, Africa, that also need not the kind of 
assistance that the world had given to Africa before, but it needs people to invest in the young Africans. The last mile, the young African must feel it, not just pay money to consultants who spend it, a fraction of that on those who need it. They need to they need to identify how. And that is where institutions like the Tony Melo Foundation come readily. We're tested, we've done a lot of things on ground. We are not just us, others also. For me, what's important is let's just prioritize young Africans. Unemployment is a major issue for us in Africa. And you know what? Today people feel the impact of the unemployment in Africa, outside of Africa. You have extremism all over being exported. You have people trying to cross the Mediterranean. They don't care if they die in the process because they want to go to other part of the world where they think life is better. So how about helping? It's economically cheaper to the world to help to make those people find their countries better through this kind of entrepreneurship support, giving hope, apprenticeship, different initiatives. So the key is investment. The key is not just investment, investment in people. Investment in people, yeah. in the youth particularly, the which youth. is the greatest resource of the continent. And encouraging government to channel the scarce resources on things that are important that will help the young ones to succeed. So on this program, we always talk about the gap. We mind the gap on this program. <laughs> And that means for any issue that we cover, there is the perception of the issue, of the country, of the situation. And then there's that reality. The reality. So from where you stand as an investor, as a philanthropist, as a person who cares about the continent and its future. Thank you. Where is the gap between the perception we have of Africa as a continent and its potential and its reality? And if you had the magic wand, what would you want all of us to know? And um, what would you do? You know, as I told you before, that the glass is half full. And that's even speaking to this, you know. Uh, as an investor, I invest in different parts of the world. And there's nowhere else that I get the kind of returns on investment as what I get in Africa. But the characterization and the narrative is totally different. What you hear about Africa is... Uh, Poverty, of course, yeah, there's poverty, but that's not the only thing about Africa. In you know, a war, diseases, etc. You know, when the pandemic started, some people said that people will be down on the streets of Africa. Okay, the people down the streets of Africa, in terms of impact of uh, <laughs> impact of COVID, <laughs> did we really feel that much on the continent? No. So there's a whole lot. There's a wide gap between reality and perception on the continent. Also, people sit here and other parts of the world and think that uh, we've approved $5 billion for Africa, you know, by way of aid. And does it help in a manner that's sustainable? No, it doesn't. And that's what we preach, that we should give from the point of view of helping to eradicate dependency syndrome. We should give with a heart to make you perpetually self-reliant and independent and look after yourself and your family and restore your dignity to yourself and not what goes on the world. So there's a whole lot of paradigm that we need to shift. You know, and that's, I like what you guys do here to talk of that gap. There's this. The perception and the reality is totally different. And, you know, Africa is full of resources. Okay, all we need to do is see how we can encourage, we can harness those resources for positive good and for majority of our people, and not just for few hands. And that's what, to me, again, I keep saying that the future of Africa lies in the hands of our young ones. 
Because if we economically empower them, if we train them, if we expose them, then they will help to realize those aspirations. Those resources we have everywhere, the arable land, good uh, young population that is vibrant and cool. But the world doesn't see that. What we see is the negative outcome. So we need to begin to change this. And the journey to changing this starts from identifying these young ones, what they need, the aspirations, and seeing how we can support them, and changing totally the way we give in Africa. And truly, the development world and agency, they do try. But my position is that they channel it in the wrong way. We need to begin to channel it in a manner that gets to the right persons and creates the desired impact. And that we need to change the way we measure what we give to the world, not just by the size of what we give, but by the impact that it creates. That is what creates the kind of progress and prosperity and peace that we all want to see in the world. Well, Tony Lemelu, if I understand you correctly, it's about changing the narrative, bridging that gap, investing in the youth, and rethinking the way we give. We give so that it kills dependency and people can be free and push on with their own lives to feed themselves and their families. With dignity. And with dignity. Thank you for joining us on this program, Chairman. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csis.org slash Africa. So long. Mm-hmm.